0: What are you talking about as you walk along? Be prepared for the coming of the stranger, said T.S. Eliot. Be prepared for one who knows how to ask questions. There is someone who remembers the way to your door. Life you may evade. Him, you cannot. So what are you talking about as you walk along? Can I have a pastoral moment with you? Then I need a stool. Last January of 2020, We heard rumors of a virus that was coming from overseas. We didn't know what it was, just that it attacked the respiratory system. By February, it had landed here, and by March, it had taken hold, and we were shutting down. We were getting updates every day from the White House. CNN was posting the death count and the infection count in the world and in the US, and those numbers were changing while you were watching the news. Together we watched those numbers spiral upwards, 200, 300, 400, now 500,000 casualties from this disease. Remember that? It was all we could talk about. And then in May of last year, a police officer arrested an African-American man in Minneapolis by putting his knee on the man's neck for more than nine minutes until the man suffocated to death. And almost immediately, the streets erupted in violence. Not just in Minneapolis, but in New York, and Chicago, and Detroit, and Bakersfield, and Los Angeles. Literally other parts of the world. Do you remember that? This is where we started to feel the nation divide... You could tell about 30 seconds into a conversation with someone which side of the divide they were on. There were some who thought one thing was horrific and the other thing was regrettable. So for some, it was horrific that the police officer killed an African-American on what seemed like a simple arrest, it was regrettable that the streets were erupting in violence. And for others, it was horrific that the streets were erupting in violence and regrettable that an African-American lost his life. You could tell, as I say, only seconds into the conversation which way this was going to go. Do you remember that? It was all we could talk about. Then in August, uh, we started to get more information on this pandemic. We knew by August that masks uh, could not stop the spread, but they might slow the spread. And so businesses and organizations everywhere encouraged people to wear masks by putting signs on their doors. For some, this was the Christian thing to do. After all, Paul said, think of others as more important than yourself, so wear a mask. But there were others for whom this felt controlling and manipulative, like these organizations were being taken over by the government And they said, stand fast in the liberty wherein Christ has set you free. And so we were getting emails here on the same week on both sides. Some people were saying, unless you make people wear a mask, I will not come to your church. And other people we're saying, if you make people wear masks, I will not come to your church. And people started choosing churches on the basis of masks. Do you remember that? It was all we could talk about. And then in the fall, when the presidents Leadership began to unravel. There were shouts of election fraud on one side and calls for another impeachment on the other side, and it started to feel like both sides were the mother in Solomon's day, willing to. Cut the nation in half before they would surrender it to the other side. Late in that struggle, a group of people laid siege on the capital and they helped themselves to the legislator's offices. They sat in the chair of the Speaker of the House and carried off a lectern and took selfies. And for some, this was an assault on democracy, and for others, it was only the rent come due of a nation where the powerful elite were separate from their constituents. And nearly every time we gathered or met for coffee or sat in lunchrooms, this was the conversation that we were having. Remember that? Now there is talk of a new presidency And some are talking about a moment in American history that is, in their words, transformational, while others are referring to a crisis at the border. Can you remember that? What are you talking about? as you walk along. Have we lost our narrative? Have we found these other subjects more interesting? We have talked with one another for the last year with a fervency that feels unprecedented to me. And it is always, it seems, over something served up from someone else's agenda. Have we traded what is eternal? for what is current. Have we accepted an agenda from someone who is not our own? It feels to me like we are like the two on the road to Emmaus. All of us, I mean. We're in this liminal state in between something that we used to believe in, but it no longer feels true, and something that we were promised that we can't quite believe in. And so we're caught in this state of indecision, of what do they call it? Unprecedented accelerated change, pivots, that's become the language of today. That's language of a liminal state. It's a point where you've lost so much. All you can think about is the stuff that you've lost And when someone speaks promises to you, it's not that you don't believe them, it's that they're so far away, they just don't feel relevant to you. So it feels to me like we are all in this in-between state right now as the people of God. We can't have what we had, but we don't know where we're going, and yet we're still going somewhere. And Jesus walks up behind us and he starts a conversation. Can I relay that conversation to you one more time in language that I think is closer to the original language? And it goes something like this. What are the two of you, what words, are the two of you exchanging with one another as you walk along. Us. You must be the only person, the only stranger in Jerusalem that has not learned, not heard, but not learned the things that have happened there in these days. Jesus, what sort of things? Us, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a man mighty in word and deed before God and all the people and the chief priests and our rulers. Handed him over to be killed and they crucified him. And what is more, this is the third day. These are my comments. What? The third day. What do you mean? This is the third day since all of that has happened. We're living on the third day since that has happened. And now our women have completely confused us. Why? Some of them ran to the tomb, and they did not find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who told them that he was alive? So our companions ran to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. Only him they did not see Jesus. Oh, oh how foolish. <laughs> You are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. Did not the Christ have to suffer and then enter his glory? Me again. Was not the glory of the Christ in the suffering? Was there ever another way to glory except through suffering? Did he not have to suffer and then he would enter his glory? I see two components here. One is the right companion and the other is the right conversation. I'm not sure about this, but I think if a companion or a stranger other than Jesus would have joined that conversation, it might have gone another way. And if it had been another conversation, he might not have joined. You see, I noticed that the conversation they were having had already started before Jesus joined them. And so I can't be sure about this, but I started wondering if they were talking about election fraud and social justice and COVID-19 and LGBTQ and transgender sexuality, and fiscal responsibility, or the NFL draft, maybe he would not have joined them. it tells me that in this journey we are on, people, we need better companions and we need better conversations. Better companions are the people who join us along the way. Some of them we invite, others just find us. Some are there for just a short period, Others are there for a season, and still others are there for a lifetime. Some of them are our friends, and some of them are our strangers. But these people, if you could put them all into one room and listen to them talk, the people that God has put around us, not just the ones we prefer, but the ones that he prefers for us, if you could put them all in a room and listen to them, their opinions, oh, they would be different, and there would be awkward moments. But you would notice at the end of the day, a collective intelligence rise from the people of God. You would notice a third way. It would take a while, but you'd begin to discern like Mary Magdalene did when she couldn't see him and thought he was the gardener, you'd start to discern, maybe this is his voice. Maybe I can know him by his voice, not just with my eyes, as his voice rises from the saints and strangers that God has put around me. These strangers, these friends that walk with us, they don't just hang out, they listen really well. And what you're saying to them changes the conversation. They're not just pausing while you talk to reload they're actually listening and it's shaping what they're about to say. And they're asking really good questions and they're treading lightly. Uh, Parker Palmer says that the soul is like an animal, a wild animal that hides in the underbrush, especially when other people are around. And the way to find the soul is not to go into the woods, crashing, shouting for it to come out. It's to go in quietly, sit and wait. Breathe with the earth, he says. Fade into the surroundings. And then here or there, the soul that you're looking for might emerge. You see, our problem with our friends is that they often go crashing into the forest and yell for our soul to come out. And all it does is drive it deeper into the forest. There are people around you right now that God has put there. Can you hear me? There is collective wisdom in the right companions. Some of you need better companions because the ones you have can't have any other conversation. Most of you have good companions. What you need are better conversations. Better conversations are not other conversations. They're the same conversations had differently. They have a different narrative. They have a different tone to them. There is a different wisdom in them and they have better outcomes. Better conversations are not about convictions. Where do we stand? They're about wisdom. What is required of us? And because they look for wisdom, they find it everywhere. And they always humble us. And yet they energize us and they mobilize us and they release us into the future. They don't hold us down into the present mess. If you have the right companions, you may need better conversations. You will have to risk talking about Jesus even with religious people who are uncomfortable talking about Jesus. What are these conversations that we're supposed to have? To start with, they are about Jesus of Nazareth, What are these words that you throw back and forth as you walk along? What sort of things about Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Can I tell the church this morning, Jesus of Nazareth is your conversation. Jesus, listen to me, is the subject. Everything else is the complement; It's the predicate. But the noun is Jesus. Somehow, in the last 12 months, we have inverted the noun and the predicate. So it's not like we're never talking Jesus. It's that we're using Jesus to endorse another subject. Oh, and here is what Jesus said about that. It's a really good thing because had he said something else, I would have had to leave him out. It's a darn good thing he agrees with me. People, we have to get back to the noun All other personalities are adjectives, all other causes are verbs. Jesus himself is the noun. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him and through him, all things were made. There was nothing made that he did not make. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And whatever mess we're trying to figure out, it is somewhere, thank God, between the beginning and In the end, we have to get back to talking about Jesus. We have to get back to Jesus. Even if we don't agree, it's better to argue about that. For there will come from the right companions a collective wisdom, and we will all be better for it. You may have the right convictions, but the wrong conversation. Church, you don't have an answer better than Jesus. And I know, I know, I know, because man, believe me, I grew up like some of you are thinking right now. You think that is simplistic. You think if you knew my circumstances, you would know he is not the solution. No, the opposite is actually true. If you knew who he truly was, you would know that is the solution. Everything you hate about the world right now, Jesus is the answer for it. You hate violence, don't you? He himself is our peace. You hate folly and foolishness. Jesus is our wisdom from God. You hate walls that divide humanity. He has torn down the wall and made the two one. You hate the scenes of death that you read in the news, but Christ himself is our life. He is the most comprehensive answer out there. When you truly understand the problem, you'll know he's the man. I'm watching. Second, and this is short. The right conversations always have a redemptive edge to them. Oh, they're beautiful. When Jesus said to them, (laughs) Did not the Christ have to suffer? in order to enter his glory? You mean you couldn't see that all of the stuff you were afraid of and the things that you hated, the things that you fought about, the things that confused us, could you not see that your losses in the last year and a half Are somehow taken by God up into a larger, more beautiful, and magnificent story. You could not see that. (laughs) I think they go, Oh, oh, I see it now. I can see it now. (laughs) It's there. When you're in a good conversation, your good companions listen to every detail and they mourn every loss. But the conversation never ends there, does it? They turn us towards some redemptive that Christ has accomplished and they have this beautiful if subtle way of taking all of our anxiety and pulling it into the wake of a story that is much larger than us that is a good conversation last good conversations always release us Into some mission. And beginning with Moses and going into all the prophets, he explained to them that this Christ must suffer and rise again, and that repentance and forgiveness will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Good conversations never just end. They never leave you angry and frustrated and more deeply entrenched in your narrow convictions. They always elevate you and release you into a mission and a story that is so much larger than this little one that you're focusing on right now. And with that release comes extraordinary power. One begins to feel like they are an extension of Christ himself in the world. So one never loses value. No one, no one. One's value always rises as it focuses in good conversations. Well, back to my pastoral chair. Some of you have the wrong companions, and you like it this way because they agree and they rehearse your narrative not somebody else, you. And you stay in those because for you, that has become a way of seeing the world. People from my heart to yours, if you would let other people into your life and treat those interruptions as holy... God might say things to you that you are not yet willing to hear. And when you hear them, your heart and your mind may get larger. You will discover ways far outside of your narrative. Others of you are trapped in conversations. Maybe, maybe it's because these are the conversations you know the most about. I mean, Let's just say it for some of us, the news is just more flat interesting. I don't mean that in pejorative tones. It will change. It will. You'll have the right conversation eventually. It will take as long as it takes. But for you, the first step is just to say, God, can I talk about something else? So look around you. Are there two or three people that you can contact? And you can just go, you know what? I've been thinking about this. Can we just talk about something else? Have you not had that thought once or twice? So in this conversation, you might ask yourself different questions. You might say, where is Christ active in this moment? Even the worst one, because clearly one of the themes to Emmaus is, Jesus can be present and active even when you think he is not. So what is he doing? Don't talk about what he's saying because your convictions will start to feed that. Just say, what is God doing right now that maybe we haven't seen because we're following the news? Asking yourself, how might God be using this for a story that is much larger than, wait for it, breaking news? What is God saying to you? Well, I don't know. Take a shot. Just take a shot at it. What do you think he might be saying? What keeps you from doing that? If you were to do it, what would be the next step? Now, look around you. Who are you going to tell? Tell somebody. Church, in the words of Paul, brothers and sisters, we have this treasure this gospel, this mission, but we have it in jars of clay so that it may be clear that this extraordinary power is from God and does not come from us. We are hard pressed on every side. Yes, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but never abandoned, struck down, but never destroyed. We carry around in this body, this collective body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed, so we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed, isn't it? Day after day after day, and these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen matters, but is temporal. What is unseen matters more, and it's eternal. The word of the Lord.